guys. Welcome back. Thanks, everybody. This is our 100th episode. Yes, our 100th over 10th episode. Right, or 10. Yeah. Or 10. In honor of Kingdom Hearts 3 coming out on Tuesday, not that I'm excited. <laughs> That's a real 358 two over days. Oh, to God. Whatever the title. No. I, I was watching a video last night about all the naming conventions in their games, and it, they're so bizarre. There's... There's one that is Kingdom Hearts 0.2 prequel final chapter. What does that even mean? How is the prequel... A is that a software I, release? I, I know. It's, <laughs> okay. It's so incredible. They have fractions. They have decimals. It's nuts. Hey, right. thank you guys. Yes, we're we're 10 you. episodes strong, and we really appreciate your support and letting us get here man it's kind of a, it's a small small milestone you know for getting a to, podcast getting to 10 episodes yeah but we really appreciate you guys being there for it and working with us and you know speaking of milestones guys yeah. we passed a really interesting one this week we so, passed 200 subscribers that's right 200 subscribers and that might not seem like a lot but for a podcast that's done effectively no formal marketing that's pretty huge. Right. And big thank you to everyone that's been sharing, subscribing, liking, commenting, you know, Posting, retweeting. Putting a review up, whatever. Even just telling telling other people about our show. It's yep. made a huge difference. Yep. And uh, we're taking it seriously. Uh, we really appreciate it. And we've got big plans for the show. We've got... Uh, we're thinking about... Guests you know, coming up. Yeah. And so we, we, we hope to record that first episode February 2nd. Uh, we are not going to tell you who that is yet. We'll let that be a surprise. But That's no, right. we're really excited. Uh, we're actually going to have someone non-metaphorically in the back seat with us on our drive. Yeah. So yeah, completely metaphorically. <laughs> uh, anyhow, it's been really amazing to see the appetite for the show. Mm-hmm. So thank you guys so much. Keep that up, uh, and we really do want to respect your time oh yeah we're going to try and make the best show that we possibly can every day and uh or every thursday the support that we've seen pour back from that has just got us really excited 200 subscribers is huge and so that being said we've dipped into the personal coffers a little bit and we started doing some formal marketing and uh we're gonna see where this can go so thanks for joining us for that ride i'll tell you what though as much as we need the ratings and the reviews and all of these things the stuff that i've liked the most that I've seen and the stuff that meant the most to me as we've been getting a lot of interaction with fans this week is all the personal messages yep. uh, either online or people coming up to me that I had no idea were even listening to the show yep. and telling me that they enjoyed it that they were listening to it that they appreciated it and the wonderful thing about this is is we had and this is surprising to me we had people on both sides of the political aisle you know liberals and conservatives christians and atheists everyone has been reaching out on all, of all different stripes yep uh talking about how they support the show and they they like what we're doing and that we should keep it up and it's been really really cool to see and the thing that like the central thing that runs through all of those conversations that i had with those people or the vast majority of those conversations is there are people who think it's worthwhile to earnestly seek the truth and i love that because if you if you go back to the beginning of our show that's what this is all about correct seeking the truth and speaking the truth and so uh, it's been a it's been wonderful to see the nascent community start to form around the idea that we can we can seek the truth together and disagree 
genuinely and vehemently but politely. Yeah. And that's that's where we want this show to go. So agree, disagree, we're happy, happy, happy that you're here and we want to hear from you. If you don't like something we said, let us know. We'll give you a fair shake. Send us an yep. email. Uh, if you tweet at us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're we love the dialogue. We think more ideas the better because the best ideas will win. Yeah. And and those aren't all of our ideas. We're not perfect. Yes. So, uh, anyhow. Can, can I just say one thing real quick? Please do. I just want to say, like, one of the things that, for me, you know, this has been not necessarily, well, really, not necessarily this show, but this has been a dream for me and Christopher for a long time that we've put a lot of effort and thought into doing something similar to this and you know carpooling you know we we had that idea recently but it seemed like the best way to like do this thing we've always wanted us to do and finally act on that dream and I just have to say from the bottom of my heart when we started this we didn't think anything was going to happen we didn't know what the result would be and the fact that there's 200 people out there that take the time to listen to this show that have subscribed and reach out to us man that makes all the difference in the world guys it just means so much to us that you're supporting us that you're along for the ride that you're interacting with us and we thank you so much uh please you know you know talk with us let us let us continue this dialogue let's you know let's make this uh a community of people who want to do this and uh Man, it's just exciting, and we thank you so much because without you guys, it's not a thing. So yeah, yeah, and you know, two hundred is not big comparatively, but it's a lot more than we had ten episodes ago. <laughs> yeah, it's two hundred people, and uh, we take the responsibility seriously, and so yeah. we're gonna do our best to to grow this, give you the best show. Like I said, we've got a lot of different things in the works right now. Yep. So I'm glad you're here with us. Stick along; it's gonna be a fun ride. Yep. That being said, King of the Moment Part Two. Welcome to it. Part so, Two. For our 10th Centennial episode, we're going to wrap up part two of our discussion of the Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah, so I think we left off at the Chateau d'If. Effectively, so yeah. a quick recap. Edmund had just been betrayed by his best friend who wants to sleep with his wife. And, uh, you know, there was that great line, because you're the son of a clerk and I'm not supposed to want to be you. Yep. It was Count Mondego's answer to the question why when he was detaining Edmund so the police could come arrest him. And so... Now, uh, the police come, they arrest Edmund, and they cart his butt off to Shadow Deef, which is a prison where, they say in the movie, they put the ones that they're embarrassed about. They put right. the ones, it's where they put the ones they want to forget. This uh, political enemies, the people that you don't want people to know about. You can't go visit it, like it's, it doesn't exist, basically. That's right. I think they even tell Mercedes that uh, they, they Edmund do. dies. Instead of telling yeah, her that she he's gone to prison, they say, oh, Edmund's dead. Right. Mercedes, his fiance. Yep, and with no fear of him ever escaping or anything like that. And this is where the movie starts to get really, really good. You, yep. You, there's a little montage where you see Edmund fall into a deep pit of despair, uh, which is... is Understandable if you listen to our conversation last a, week. a 10 by 10 stone cage with only one day a year where you get human contact and that's on the day that you or your anniversary at the Shadow Deep where the warden whips you mercilessly yeah so not a good life so not a good life and he starts scratching in on the wall uh, tally marks for the days that he's been there and he is he recites uh, over to himself and also inscribes on the wall the phrase, God will give me justice. Yep, he continues to carve 
in the same place over and over again, making the words deeper and deeper. That's right. So he does this for a while until he basically breaks. Mm -hmm. Um, He gives up on carving the wall. He gives up on taking care of himself in the meager ways that he could. He quits eating for the most part. And he's kind of given up hope and he's ready to die. And that's when this happens. Hunter, take it away. So, yeah, Edmund is just hanging out in his cell, being miserable. And, you know, nothing's happened in here. Nothing exciting's changed. And all of a sudden, one of the tile stones or on the bottom of his floor begins to move. Uh, and I can just imagine, you know, what could potentially be running through his head is like a demon is crawling through the floor to get me and drag me into hell, you know, and all this stuff. Because he hasn't seen people, you know, who knows what kind of hallucinations the poor man is going through with his despair. And then all of a sudden, a great black, dirty head pops out and Edmund's freaking out. He doesn't understand. And then it turns around and it's just a man covered in dirt. Yep. And he looks genuinely confused that he is in Edmund's cell. And he's a full-on wizard. Yeah, he's uh, actually a wizard. He starts, no, he's got the white hair yeah. and the white beard. Looks like a wizard. talking about how he must have picked the wrong way. Right. And so you learn from if, inference that this man is uh, trying to escape. He's tunneling his way out of the Shadow Deep. Clearly a prisoner of this place, and he, uh, instead of going east, he's gone west, or whatever direction he's talking about. That's right. Yep. And so you fi- come to find out through his conversations with Edmund as Edmund literally learns to talk again. Right. Uh, it's been so long since he's communicated with another human being. He that this man is a priest. Yes. And uh, a pretty a pretty great one at that. This right. is one of my favorite characters in the movie. He's he's the sage. He is full of wisdom and he imparts this wisdom onto Edmund. And what you learn is that not only is he a priest, but before he was a priest, he was a dragoon right. and a scholar. He's got several books in his cell. He's made uh, furniture out of wood shavings, effectively, as well as swords for Edmund and him to fence with. Yep. And Edmund starts telling him his woes, and the priest starts imparting wisdom. And uh, Edmund tells the priest about his betrayal, and the priest, in a very Socratic fashion, helps him figure out what exactly happened, right. what exactly got him sent to Shadow Deep. Gets him to answer the questions about... Uh, Villefort burning the letter. He figures out that Mondego was the only person that could have potentially known, knows that Danglars wanted this to happen, and he just kind of pieces together, uh, with the help of the priest, all the people that have betrayed him. But basically, he and the priest strike up a bargain. The priest has been digging the wrong way for, uh, I think it's six years? Long time. Long time. And he basically now needs to cover the same distance in the opposite direction. But, lucky him, he's got a tunnel that leads directly into Edmund's cell and his own. And so, in exchange for his knowledge, in exchange for his skills as a fighter, in exchange for uh, his wisdom... Just to be clear, when when they get to this point, Edmund says, you have to teach me how to use the sword, you have to teach me your book learning, you have to teach me how to read and write so I can get my revenge. Right. And th- so that's what Edmund wants in the bargain, and then the priest wants... The priest wants to be a, wants the extra help for Edmund to help him dig out the other direction, cutting so the time escape. effectively in half. That's right. Right. So they and when Edmund first talks about revenge, the priest reprimands him 
uh, in a loving fatherly way, but says, you know, revenge isn't yours to take. Right. And uh, reminds him that revenge is the Lord's. And that's when you learn that Edmund has had a shift in his faith. The, the old yes. man reads the, the script that he's carved into the wall that says, God will give me justice. And he goes, God will give me justice. And he goes, ah, I used to believe that when I first got here. Yep. But I don't believe that anymore. There's actually a great scene where Edmund, before the priest comes, you know, you see Edmund carving it like every day. And then he goes to it one last time, weary, deserted, in pain, and begins to carve and just drops the stone. Right. And just doesn't, and doesn't pick it back up. And that's when you see visually that Edmund doesn't believe this phrase anymore. And he's lost his way, his faith, if you will. It's really the end of the loss of his innocence. Yes, exactly. You know, whereas the beginning is... Good things happen to good people. That doesn't exist right. anymore for the, Edmund. The beginning is when he gets the ship. Yep. You know, that is his... That is his wish... F- that, I guess that's not the beginning. That's the last moment that he experienced the fulfilling idea that if you do the right things, life will be good to you. Yep. And the world will be a good place to live. Yep. And then that moment, when he gets the chess piece from Fernand is the beginning of the death of his innocence and when he drops when he drops the stone in the cell that's the end because it's signifying that my ability to suspend my disbelief that there's anything divine or important about the world is now gone yep it started out with the death of my friendship and then the the very likely loss of my love and then the death of god it, it progressed in this to the way. ultimate end. Yeah, right. And so the to to kind of get things to where they end up, uh, the priest and Edmund are digging in the tunnel, and there's a cave in. Uh, they they just find their first root, which means they're digging in the correct direction, and there's plants nearby, so they're they're doing the right thing. And right when that happens, a cave in happens, severely injuring the priest. Ed. Uh, yeah, mortally injuring the priest. Mortally, yeah. So Edmund pulls the priest out and sets him down on the stone, and the priest is dying and tells Edmund of a great treasure that he's hidden. And Edmund Edmund says to him, "Well, how could you have a, a treasure? You're a priest. You know what were you doing?" <laughs> and, he, and the and the priest looks at him and goes, "I'm a priest, not a saint." And so basically yeah. saying that he's done some things wrong. Um, Edmund then uh, then the priest basically tells Edmund that he can go and get this fortune and Edmund looks at him with almost like a ravenous hunger saying with this fortune I will use it to surely get my revenge and the priest you know basically asks him not to and Edmund the, the priest actually asks him to use it for God right to use it for so good he goes he goes use the treasure for God and Edmund says I'll surely use it to get my revenge and he goes you should use it for God instead and Edmund says, I don't believe in God anymore. And the, and the priest replies, he still believes in you. And you should yeah. remember that line because that line is going to come up again. But so what happens? Immediately, Edmund is given this choice. I, he can, I mean, hold on. Let's talk about that for just a second. It's such a wonderful line. because, okay. I, and, and not not that it's anything totally earth shattering. You know, it's almost tropish. But it's true. Can we come back to it later? I feel like I feel like there's a really oh, good point. Oh yeah, I, know I feel what you're I feel like you're getting ahead of the thing, you know. Okay, yeah, I know yeah, where you're going. Yeah, okay, we sure. just we just want to because like I feel like that actually sets up this moment, which is like you're, you're right. Now Edmund has a choice: revenge or God. And so you could even you don't you mean like throw out God to do the good thing? 
you know, to do the better thing, to be the better man. And Edmund gets this chance to do it. Well, the priest is, uh, the priest is dead, and so the jailer has to do what the jailer always does, which is throw the dead body into the sea. And so uh, Edmund yeah, yeah, makes a it, this castle. The the Shadow Deep is an ancient castle on yes. an island, kind of you know secluded. And so yeah, so they come in and they stitch the priest up in a body bag, which is their way. And then he went the the um, jailer went to go get another couple of the wardens to help him carry the body out so that he could throw it in the sea. Well, Edmund had hidden back in the tunnel when the jailer came in and found the dead body of the priest. Yep. And when he did, when he put him in the body bag and left, he got this idea. Yep. And it's a wonderful scene of the movie because they don't show you what happens immediately. But Edmund slips the priest out of the bag, stitches himself up in it, and hides the hides the old man's body back in the... He hides him back in his old cell, which yeah, is completely completely ridiculous and would never happen. But you just put him in the tunnel. You just put him in the tunnel, but it works in this moment because it, it like it, you know, it helps you understand visually from the movie perspective what's going on. Right. Anyway, and so it, it's a wonderful moment too because the priest was his salvation, which is a really, it, it's a it's a metaphor and it's foreshadowing. Sure. Yeah, the salvation from the, the the priest is the person prison. who set him free from yep. the prison, but that's only redemption of the body if you will right um so it's a really cool scene so through a couple of perilous moments edmund escapes well this is important because this sets up edmund's choice and so as he's about to be thrown off the uh chateau de edmund not only is in the bag with the rope which he could probably finagle out he already finagled himself in he gets wrapped up in a ball and chain and there's a key you know for the lock that the warden has on his hip as they're about to throw Edmund into the river, they're counting one, two, you know. When they get the three, Edmund reaches out and grabs the keys on the warden's belt, pulling the warden into the water with him and ripping the keys free and, on, and freeing himself once he's thrown into the water. Right. After Edmund surfaces, he sees the warden struggling to escape. And you see this visual problem with Edmund as he's wrestling with what do I do? Do I go back and get my revenge on the warden or do I make my escape? And he's tormented by it for a second. And then he swims back to the warden and strangles him in the water. And now, you know, Edmund's made his choice. He's not the better man. He's not fighting for the noble good. He wants revenge and he's out for it. And now, unfortunately, the priest has given him both the knowledge, the tools from a, from a fighting man's perspective and the fortune and Edmund just has to make it happen. Yeah, and the freedom. He and had, the freedom. He had everything. The priest gave him everything he needed because he trusted in his morality. Right. And now he had everything he needed to do evil, which is is an interesting idea we don't have to go too deep into, but but the resources that you have that can be used for good can easily be used for evil. Correct. That, that there's, you know, a lot of people like to bark down the capitalist throat because money... Uh, corrupts and money makes you evil and fortunes are evil. This was just being peddled in the news this week. AOC was saying that there's not, that a system that allows for the existence of billionaires is an immoral system. Um, But the truth is, is that the resources are agnostic and it's what you choose to do and the personal responsibility you take of those resources that can turn them into a great good or a great evil. Yeah. So... And it's it's great that the the priest decides to give Edmund to put his faith in Edmund. Uh, it's it's essential for his salvation. But anyhow, yep. 
It's a good thing. So let's jump through a couple of hoops. Okay. Uh, Edmund through a through a series of misadventures gets a boat, hires an assistant, and they go to the the Isle de Monte Cristo, where the priest's treasure was treasure was hidden. And using a map that the priest gave him, he recovers the treasure and they bring it back to France. And they they swank it up in a major way. They buy a giant mansion. They buy the nicest clothes. He essentially become he essentially, he starts counting calling himself the Count de Monte Cristo, and essentially becomes royalty by purchasing it right. with this new treasure. It's a great scene. They roll up to the big mansion he wants to buy, and he's talking to one of the uh, proprietors there, and he's like, "I like your house. How much?" And he goes, "It's not for sale." And his assistant, who is uh, doesn't say a word. Yeah, I can't remember what his name is. He's a famous actor. Yeah. Actor. Uh, he he rolls up with a donkey pulling a cart effectively. Yeah, with a tarp over it. Undoes the back and jewels and gold and crowns and all kinds of uh, miraculous treasure falls out and the next scene is Edmund in the in the castle yeah because it's his house now. yeah and the guy's riding away with the donkey who Absolutely. owned the house yeah so he's he's setting up his plot he's laying his trap yep. which part of it is him becoming uh, on equal footing with Mondego if yes. you will uh, in the meantime, we see a couple of things have happened on Mondego's side. For one, he has married Mercedes, and they have a son together, and the son's name is Albert. Yep. In addition to that, Mondego has not become a significantly nicer person. He's pretty uh, much the same. In fact, the first scene you see him in after they betrayed is him in a duel fighting someone and killing them mercilessly, like, yeah. on purpose. And, and, and the next scene, this is the first scene where he's, like, reintroduced to the plot of the movie, and the next scene... He's holding a sword fighting someone else, and you don't know why. Yeah. That's happening. And yeah. he stabs him through, he stabs him through, and then he, he goes back home, and Mercedes goes, is the Viscount of something-something dead? And Guy Pierce returns with the greatest line in the entire movie. Well, unless his heart is located somewhere other than the left side of his chest, then I suspect he is. <laughs> just, he's cold-blooded, you know? Cold, doesn't and, care. And yeah. what you've realized is that the girl didn't make him any more happy than the whistle did. Yes. Or the horse did. Yes. The, the, the things he tried to fill his life with were not enough, which becomes this allegory for, for Edmund, because now he is he's the bitter, the one swallowing the bitter pill mm-hmm. and filling his life with the the goods and the jewels, etc. Yeah. So anyhow, so uh, Edmund we, throws this big party. Uh, There's like balloons and everything. He's swanktacular. Uh, Mercedes ends up showing up. It doesn't recognize him. There's there's a little bit with Albert. Do we go into that? Uh, it's really good, but I don't know how important it is. Basically, this while Albert is partying in a, I, I think Italy. Because they're wearing masks, in, in right? In Venice. In Venice. And so, and he gets taken by, uh, this is kind of funny, he gets taken by a gang that uh, Edmund has hired to to basically harass him. And he does this on purpose so that he can rescue him from the gang and then uh, use that to get close to the Mondegos to continue to plot his revenge. Right. And, Al- Albert being Mondego and Mercedes' son. Yes, thank you. So it's part of his plan. It's part of his plan and... That that's kind of it. Like I mean, like, and then this gets him to a dinner at the Mondego's residence. It's, it's Albert's birthday party. Yes, and nobody knows that this is Edmund, except Merce- for a very suspicious Mercedes. Very very suspicious Mercedes. And so they uh, they're having this dinner, and Fernand actually couldn't attend the birthday toast because he's busy on his uh, various nefarious dealings. Yeah. 
Uh, with Dunglar, believe it or not. Uh, Villafort. Uh, Villafort's the magistrate. Yes, it was with the magistrate. Oh, you're right. It yep. is Villafort. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dunglar was accepting the shipment. They were, yes. they were basically shipping some illegal goods and not paying. They're, they're basically smuggling. Yep. And so... Uh, they're Dun- actually trying to steal uh, uh, Edmund's goods. Some of Edmund's shipments coming in from the... Believing that they're stealing from the Count of Monte Cristo. Right. And so, um, it's, and they're all involved again in it again. The magistrate, Villafort, is making the plan and uh, hushing the cops for uh, Mondego, who's orchestrating the deal, and then Dunglar is the one that actually goes to the shops and accepts the shipment. But what they don't know is it's all Edmund's plan. Exactly. He's been feeding them the information to get them to this point, to fall where he wants them to be when he wants them to be there. So he's been sprinkling the breadcrumbs. Mm-hmm. But he goes to Albert's birthday party, and he sees Mercedes again for the first time. And Mercedes noticed a tick that he had where he would twist his hair Right. Uh, that was mentioned earlier in the movie, and she comes to him in secret and says, are you a ghost sent to haunt me? Uh, basically acknowledging that he's Edmund, and uh, Edmund completely shuts her down, says, I don't know who you're speaking of, you're insane. You know, right down the line. Yep. So, anyhow, this whole process starts where they're trying to steal the Count of Monte Cristo's goods. Um, and Edmund plays them all for fools because, unbeknownst to them, he knows exactly what kind of people they are. Yes. Because the difference about Edmund this time around is that he's paying attention. Yep. To everything. Literally everything. He has he, a plan for everything. He And even to the point where, like, the people close to him are like, you need to calm down. You're, you're, you've made such, such specific plans. You're wearing yourself out. And he's like, my revenge will be perfect. Yeah. Like, and his buddy, his uh, assistant, the one that he hires suggests to him several times take the money tell the girl that it's you and leave you don't have you don't need this bloodshed he wants and, it and he goes he you know he rebuffs him and also the assistant tries to meddle in him and Mercedes business one more time and Edmund threatens to kill his assistant yep if he meddles in his affairs again um so anyhow it's a it's a whole thing but then, uh, but it's so great to see the difference, the shift, because now Edmund's paying attention. He knows he what the, the world is. Yeah, he's the calm, cool, collected center of the universe. Yes. And it, that, that's the difference but, between but him, he's, the first him and the second him. But he's vicious now. Right. And that's, been the, that's the thing that's changed. Is like, not only can he see everything, not only is he no longer naive, he's a lion and, he want, and he's on a hunt. And it's, it's, it's almost... I think I think it's exciting to see someone that can act in that capacity, but it's almost but something's lost, something good is broken, and like it's it's obvious and, and it's painful. From the viewer's perspective, you're still on his side because he's justified, but he's not righteous. Yes, that's you know? the difference. And that's yeah. the hollow feeling. You it's get. like watching Walter White. Right. Like you like Walter White because you feel like he deserves he he deserves what he's getting, and it, well, that comes off of too crazy. You want him to succeed because life has been cruel to him. But you don't think he's a good person. Right. Yeah. So. And so, uh, so his plan starts to unfold, and we'll skip over a lot of it. But Basically, he gets revenge. He kills. He intercepts Dunglar at the docks and strangles Dunglar. Yep. With, he, with the full approval of the police standing right there watching it. Yeah. He makes Villafort uh, admit to uh, a litany of crimes, actually, yep. in a bathhouse. and Sends him to, to the Chateau d'If. Yeah, sends him to Chateau d'If. Yeah. And, uh, which, um... It's such a good scene. We'll just talk about this little vignette. Oh, yeah, sure. When Edmund was being carted off to prison, they left a pistol in the carriage and said it was a it was a professional courtesy. Right. And uh, Courtesy for a gentleman. Courtesy for a gentleman. That's right. Courtesy for a gentleman. Yeah. Basically meaning you could put the gun in your mouth and pull the trigger. Get it over If you with. didn't want to go to the Shadow Deef. And, of course, Edmund was still bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at this point, just at the, the instigation of his loss of innocence. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't. But... 
he does the same thing when they arrest uh, Villafort. Villafort. He leaves the pistol in the car, and Villafort says the same line to him, courtesy yeah. for a gentleman. And Villafort, being the being the vile, reprehensible man that he is, that doesn't have the innocence and the positivity that Edmund had when he was in the same situation, pretty much instantly presses the gun to the side of his head and pulls the trigger. Yep. And it clicks. Yep. And Edmund leans in the window and said, you didn't think I was going to make it that easy, did you? It's such, uh, it's so gratifying on a very carnal level. Yes. Uh, but it, anyway, that that's just a really great scene. Yeah. So, uh, essentially, Mondego has fallen into the last trap. He was, he was in massive debt and he was hoping to get out of it by taking, uh, Edmund's fortunes, essentially. And when that falls through and all of his connections with Villefort and Donglars are gone, he finds himself needing to leave the city or leaving to leave Marseille's before the collectors come and take everything that he owns. Right. And so he... Which is Edmund's plan, of course. Right. And so he he arranges to collect what shipment he can of Edmund's, Edmund's stolen treasure. goods. And he arranges to, to get them at this... Um, abandoned castle. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, this abandoned outpost outside yeah. of town. Right. And he shows up and... Uh, before that. Okay, Bef- go ahead. Before that. Um, so, Mercedes essentially leaves him, and he's fine with it, and he calls her their son, you know, how displeased and how unhappy he is with him, how he's always been, and Mercedes uh, shows up at Edmund's house the same night that that whole conversation happens because she is no longer with Mondego. The Count of Monte Cristo to her. But yeah. Right. But what? Oh, she knows better. But she knows better because she remembers that, that Edmund on the night where she confronted him said that he was no longer, that he was not this Edmund Dantes that she was looking for. And he, and then she remembers in this moment that she never said the name Edmund Dantes to him. Right. And she, so she never she, said Dantes. And so now she knows that the he count, is Edmund. Yes. And so confronts him again and tries to tries to kind of make the same plea the priest did essentially. And uh, yeah, and it's actually earlier but the the meaning is the same. We mentioned earlier she had that thread that she put around her finger that night that yep. they spent on the beach together when when Edmund got the ship and she shows him once again the the ring because he well but he they're arguing back and forth they keep going back and forth right. and then to stop the argument she shows him the 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 piece of string on her finger still and and the line was and you'll never see it off my finger and right. she says it's never left my finger yep it's a really beautiful moment um, it breaks Edmund it kind of shows Edmund that there's still beauty in the world and that you know what good people good meets them again. Right. And it doesn't meet them in the naive way, but it's like if you put goodness out in the world, goodness will come back to you, but don't be a fool about it. And that's kind of the lesson Edmund learns there. And it's it's really pretty. And he... It, he learns the difference between joy and happiness. Yeah, yeah. He, he learns that, that being good and acting morally, and more than that, having a divine aim. Yeah. Uh, because that's what the priest was trying to teach him. And, and it, it, this is the beginning of his salvation. The beginning of his rebirth is when he learns from, he learns that not everything that appeared to be broken was lost. Yes. That some of it was still salvageable. And so he learns that it's the beginning of his, this period where he starts changing again. And he learns that there's, there's, it's good to be happy, but it's better to have joy. Yep. It's better to know that you've done the right thing and that not everything that, 
leaves you is gone forever and not everything that appears in disrepair is eternally broken and to make this just obvious to the end to the person watching the movie uh mercedes mentions kind of offhandedly in her conversation you know something about god restoring or bringing peace and edmund says god can i ever be free of him which mercedes immediately replies he isn't everything edmund then says back uh i don't believe in god and then she smiles and says but he believes in you which is the exact same exchange that the priest has with Edmund right. in Chateau d'If. And that's so brilliant because now the the line itself becomes this iconography for something greater than just a line. When the priest said it, it's, you know, maybe a clever thing for someone to say as they're dying. But when when Mercedes repeats it, she's been she for the entire start of his life, she was Edmund's Edmund's goal. Guiding she was his aim. North Star. That's right. So she's been the thing that he has been has been striving towards. But they were both a little happy-go-lucky. Actually, I'll, I'll rephrase. Edmund was pretty happy-go-lucky. He, he wasn't paying attention. Mercedes did know the truth. Mercedes knew the truth about Mondego. Right. She knew the truth that he was a rat, that, she, that he was trying to undermine the relationship. She knew all these things. She was paying attention. Right? Mm-hmm. And and because she was paying attention and trying to do the right thing, she captured something that Edmund had failed to capture. Even though he was doing the right thing, he had failed to capture it. And now, post, post uh, Chateau d'If, he, he was paying attention, but his, he wasn't doing the right thing. But for that entire first part of his life, Mercedes was his aim. Her aim had been to, had been to have a successful life with Edmund as well, but also she was paying attention. When you brought that together, she tapped into something that Edmund failed to tap into, right? And it was the same thing that the priest tapped into. And that's what makes it so brilliant because that it's in this moment that that line becomes more than just the... Sentiment you know, of a priest. Right. It becomes the iconography representation of God. Right. In the film. And what, what you realize is and Mercedes Mercedes shows this is that when you aim at the ideal when your aim is proper and you're paying attention you can be quote unquote like god right and, and that's exactly what she's doing when she gets together with Mondego she is not doing it for herself she's doing it for her son and via her son for Edmund right. because because the you know contextually in the story she couldn't be a single a single mother that would be largely frowned upon it would be a terrible life for Albert so when she realizes she's pregnant she goes to Mondego but when she shows him the ring she's saying I've still been faithful you said you I said you would never see it off my finger and it's never left my finger right right it's it's brilliant and you realize that she that that her aim and the fact that she was paying attention worked together to allow her to access the wisdom of the cosmos, which is this universal that both the priest and Mercedes has, and she's become a, a, a reflection of the divine. There's like there's a probably a pretty good argument that Mercedes, uh, this you know, w- with her condition and everything, you know, there's one of like the 
traditional storylines that could have easily cropped up here is that she um, kills herself, you know, because of the conditions placed upon her. Right. You know, and it's like that would have been, you know, the tragic, you know, story of Edmund. But and you would think that that would kind of I mean, that's Romeo and Juliet in a sense is like when you're young, naive and you fall in love, you know, and you don't take and you just kind of follow it without any planning there's a chance that it ends horribly right and so and potentially that happens every time if you just fall young naive love without you know ever maturing past that point and so one of the cool things about this is she she rises above that narrative to become something better than that by sacrificing uh herself her life her own happiness to give her and Edmund's son a future and that's she, pretty she wild assumed the suffering of others because, exactly and she did it forthrightly because her aim was correct yeah and, and we already know that she wasn't interested in Mondego she didn't like him he's not she had already dude. rebuffed him several times she said explicitly I'm not going to be your next pony right uh, and yet, whistle oh sure yeah she he, Mondego had plenty of ponies but, but see that's that's the gimmick right uh, she she wasn't interested and yet for her son and for what she knew to be Edmund's son, and therefore for Edmund, she did that. So, it, it's a brilliant thing to learn, and and the line the line transcends its its nature written on a page. It means something to you whether you believe in God or not. Like you watch right. that scene, and you learn something about the human condition because you're seeing this like you know complete circle of like who the priest is coming alive inside a Mercedes and eventually you're going to see this the same person or the same type of person um, come alive in Edmund although he's not a very quick learner yeah that's right but yeah. that's exactly right what you yeah. said because because she sh- it speaks to you regardless of your religion regardless yeah. of your faith because it acknowledges something that we all have to come to terms with is that a, a piece of the divinity rests in the individual mm-hmm. and I believe that's because you were made in the image of God and of course that's not talking about body but but spirit if you would yeah. but that's what it's pointing at the divinity is represented by that line and it exists in multiple places it's it's Universal and transcendent in the story, right, right. which is wonderful. So you're right. Edmund's not a very fast learner. No. So uh, return to the storyline at hand. Mondego goes to the outpost where the treasure is supposed to right. be stored. Right. And it's it's the Count of Monte Cristo's. It's the small. It's the small little piece of shipment that he was able to get from Edmund. Right. Uh, and and I, he, as he's trying to skip town. And, right. And so. He shows up at the outpost, and just as expected, there are a multiplicity of boxes there that are supposedly contain the treasure. And so he starts opening box after box, and lo and behold, he gets to the first box and opens it up, and it's filled with sand. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing in it, and and so he starts running his hands through it, and it's just like his plans have all come to fruition, or have all fallen apart, you know, it's kind of like... You can kind of see a little bit of panic. Oh, yeah, he starts going faster and faster through each box until finally he notices the one box with a lock on it. Right, and Hope enters the situation, he's like, ah, here's my treasure. This is the, you know, these other ones were decoys, essentially, and so he pulls up his pistol, aims it at the lock, and it's an old-timey pistol, right, so it only has one shot, pulls pulls the trigger, blows the lock off, opens up the chest, opens up the chest, and within it is a small, singular, uh, 
king chess piece. That's right. Sitting in the middle of the box with it's nothing else. So perfect. Yeah. I mean, on a on a humanistic, brutalistic level. Right. It is the perfect revenge. Yes. The the same chess piece that you gave to me when you banished me to hell. I'm returning it to you because I'm sending you right back there. Right, and it's 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 like the the happy good lesson you're supposed to learn is at the beginning of the movie where, you know, it's if I work with you to create king, you know, moments for you to be king of, that will lead me to greater happiness because I'm dri- I'm striving for your happiness and it will give me more moments in my life to be king. Right. You know, and like we mentioned before, it's the ideal relationship, right? If right. you align yourself properly, uh, with the correct goal, you can you can bring that to bear and and have a have a relationship where it helps both you and others now and into the future. That's what it's getting at. When right. You pass back the king of the moment. The, the reason that they use moment there is because there's going to be more moments. There's going to be more right? moments. So it implies this this uh, ascendance and and. Uh, migration through time right and then in this moment it all switches because as as Mondego filled his life with everything that he thought he wanted the wealth of his father and the bride of his best friend and all of these things that he thought were going to make him happy then they might have for a time they've all failed him his fortune is gone the girl's gone even his son is gone and what you realize is that the peace takes on its far more sinister meaning right not the king of the moment as there will be many more moments to come but you can be king just for a moment right and, and it's, that's that's the difference between paying attention and being shrewd and and having the incorrect aim yeah having a non-divine non-orderly aim yeah it's 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 like it's a doggy dog world it's like if you want to be in the game for just you that's fine you can do that and if you're competent and successful enough you might even win but, but, there's always going to be more people than you, and there's always going to be a moment when your back foot is against the wall. Right. And then it's over. It's, it's, it doesn't matter who you are. It's the lesson that Edmund's in the process of learning. Mm-hmm. The, 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 lessons, the lesson is the difference between um, joy and happiness. Yeah. You can chase happiness, but how long do you have to chase it? Right. Or you can chase joy. And you find joy, I think, primarily through assuming as the the malevolence of the world forthrightly and bearing the suffering of others. And, and I that's think that's exact a, that's what Mercedes did. That's what the priest did. Right. And that's what what Edmund's learning. So I think you did something really interesting there in your language and I'm not sure you necessarily meant it, but I want to just capture it is because you said how long do you have to chase happiness? And that's an interesting point because happiness is something that you can have more of and it can like go away and stuff at times, but joy is a state of being. Right. And so like exactly. if, if you you actually do chase happiness if that's your main aim because you can't have happiness. Right. You can and, be and happy. That's the thing. Joy is a state of being. Right. It, it is a singularity instead of a a list of moments, right? Right, exactly. Or, or an amount. He's a joyful that you can person. Have. And and that's one of the one of the key things because it is in its own way a reflection of the divinity yeah. that can rest within a human being sure. joy and you know if you look at the bible of course it's one of the fruits of the spirit which if you extrapolate from that the spirit is one part of god yeah. and then the the things that it will bring to bear joy is one of them right and so 
God, as you go back to our What is God episodes, God is eternal, right? He is a singularity. He's a state of being, mm -hmm. and so is joy. So in a very small way, the, the subtle differences between joy and happiness are actually a reflection of the divine that can rest within you. It's right. such a clear and perfect picture. Yeah, and it's, it's cool. so it's so good in this story. So let's let's finish up the story. Yep. Um so Count he looks at the chess piece, all of the iconography, all of the wisdom grant imparted in that moment come to fruition and out from the shadows steps Edmund Dantes the Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah. And he says the line uh, well, Mondango well, sets him up and goes, how? Right, he asks him how. And he says, how did I escape? With difficulty. How did I envision this moment? With pleasure. And uh, then, call back to earlier, Mondego asks him why, and he says, it's complicated. Yes. Brilliant line, just go watch it, go watch the movie, it's so fulfilling. And so, they begin to clash, and it's, it's beautiful the way they choreograph this fight, because in the same way that... Um, in the same way that Mondego takes Edmund Dantes' sword in the first fight, Edmund steals Mondego's sword, and he has two swords, and he's about to run him through. And then, surprise attack from the bluff side. Huda! It's uh, Albert. Yes. Albert comes with a side swipe. He actually cuts Edmund's sword, Edmund sword in half and keeps him from killing his father. Yep. And so Edmund squares off with Albert. In the meantime, Mondego starts charging his pistol. Right. He, he's putting him, he's actually using Albert as a shield between him and Edmund while he loads his pistol with like, this is his son. And he's very totally fine to have his son die for him, which is like just another sinister side of Mondego that's being revealed about his character. That's right. And so he's, he, he's trying to, put his pistol back together, Albert event becomes disarmed, and uh, Edmund looks at Albert and says, if you, boy, I don't want to kill you, but if you won't move, I'll run you through. Yeah. And so he's about to kill Albert again, and before he gets the opportunity to, Mercedes jumps out and says, stop. And of course, everybody in the room stops because no one expects Mercedes simply to jump into the scene and so Edmund and you know is holding the sword child bear Mondego is loading the pistol and Edmund kind of looks at her and goes why should I stop and she goes because he's your son right and so it turns out as you guys already know turns out that the night that they spent together on the beach after Edmund had been awarded captainship of the ship um captainship of the ship yeah I guess that's the way the thing you can say I don't know his captainship <laughs> he's got the ship now okay he's anyway, a captain. anyway um he actually impregnated he impregnated Mercedes. Uh, Mercedes. Albert is his son. And so then Albert turns around on Mondego so and says, You were gonna let, you me, were kill gonna let me kill my, kill him. You're gonna let me kill my own father. And uh Mondego says some offhanded stuff. Yeah. And uh he goes, Is it true? And great line by by uh Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce. Yeah. I, I'm not gonna remember it exactly. He says something to the effect of, I suppose your mom was as much of a whore in her former life as she is now. Yes. So offhanded, so cruel. Yeah. And so anyway, in the in the meantime, though, he has reloaded his pistol. And yep. he, he raises it to Edmund. And he, Edmund says, you've only got one shot. And it's going to take more than that to stop me. And he goes... We should point out that Edmund was going to let him go. That at this point, he oh, was... That's right. He, he was totally fine with, with, uh, yeah, with Mondego leaving because... He he realizes that he has his family back together, and that you know he get his right. salvation happens when he realizes that he has a yeah, son. Yeah, his salvation began when he when when he saw the thread around around Mercedes finger. Mercedes finger, and his salvation's complete now, and and it's complete for a couple of reasons. But it's complete when he realizes that he becomes a father because he realizes that he has to 
he has that his goal that his revenge has actually hurt other people now and right. other people that he was supposed to protect. Yep. He's realized that there's externalities. He realized that his aim was improper. And he's also and, realized and that. And Albert's oh, the catalyst sorry. for that, right? Yeah. And so it, and it's so beautiful because before he had the right aim, but he wasn't paying attention. And because he wasn't paying attention, he couldn't be like God. There's a bunch in Genesis that you can go through to kind of get to that point. But just as the apple of the tree of good and evil or the fruit the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the sin that opened Adam and Eve's eyes. The, his, his lust for revenge opened his eyes. It made him start paying attention, and it made him deadly. It made him a weapon so that he could be like God, but his aim was incorrect, right? And so this is the completion of his salvation. He realizes that there's externalities. He realizes that there's more to live for than this revenge. And he goes, he goes um, Mondego, no more, as in go. And that's when he raises the pistol, right? Right. And he says, oh, you've only got one shot le- left, and it's going to take more than that to stop me. And Mondego, in his utter malevolence, says, then I best put it where it does the most damage. He rotates the pistol and points it at Mercedes. Dagger from the bluff side. Dagger. Attack from the bluff side. Yeah. Lots of attacks from the bluff side. Uh, the Edmund's assistant, if you will, is first mate, his whatever, throws a dagger straight at Mondego's hand just at the perfect time, making the shot that was aimed at Mercedes' heart graze her on the shoulder instead. Right. And in a perfect picture of the completion of his salvation, both Albert and Edmund do not rush to kill Mondego. To kill Mondego. They run to Mercedes' side. And Mondego flees for his life. And he's walking. He walks out to his horse, jumps on his horse. He starts riding off. He looks out in the distance, and it's just fields, and there's nothing there. And he's just like, you could just see it on his face. He's like, oh, I have nothing left. Yeah, and this so is he, it. He comes back, and he realizes that now all he has to live for is revenge. Yeah, right. Now he so is they, Edmund. They switched roles again. Yeah, and so he comes back, and he yells out for Edmund. Edmund answers the call valiantly and dispatches him in the grass. And it feels good. It it feels good. It feels good. In your dark, horrible Hollywood heart. Right. And that's the end of the movie. Except for there's a small scene and it kind of wraps everything up nice in a bow. Yeah. On on the Chateau d'If, on the island, uh, you see Albert and... We see Edmund and he's alone and he's praying, essentially. You're right. And then Mercedes and Albert walk up. Yep. And... Uh, Edmund says, you know, I bought this place thinking I would go- was going to tear it down. He's very rich. And, uh, yeah, very rich still. He goes, but now everything I care about is standing on its surface with me. Yeah. And it's because he's changed his aim, you know? And, and the, the wonderful thing is, is Mercedes was always his aim, right? Yeah. But when she became a picture of the archetypal ideal, he started pursuing the archetypal ideal mm-hmm. and it replicated. Yep. Now his ideal was correct and it's so wonderful and that's what the movie has to teach us. He, he then uh, says goodbye to the priest and promises him that he will never take revenge into his own hands, that he'll let it be the Lord's and that's, that's the picture that he's restored himself. Yeah. Right? And so that's, what, that's the end of the movie and here's what we have to take away. One, you have to pay attention. Yep. You know, you can't be a kid. You can't be naive. You can't just, you know, expect good things to happen to the, you. The world has no padded corners. It's yep. a malevolent place, and you have to pay attention. People want to take advantage of you, and if you give them the opportunity to, they will. And, and you don't even have the opportunity to do good if you're not paying attention. Right. Exactly. And that's really what it's all about. Yeah. And two is, is, you can by aligning yourself properly with the infinite power of the cosmos and God, you can be a picture an archetypal image of the ideal 
and we, you know what malevolence will get you if yep. you live in malevolence, but you have no idea how good the world can be, how good of a place the world can be if you manifest your life in such a way that you reflect the archetypal ideal for yourself and those around you. It's Mercedes and her pursuit of that that saves Edmund and saves her, her son. Mm -hmm. You know, she bore the suffering of others forthrightly and became a picture of the archetypal ideal, and it was transcendent and life-changing. Yeah, it's like, honestly, like, the people that actually do the most good in the film are really, is really not Edmund. Edmund is kind of just the instrument of all the events happening sure. to someone. And it's like, because of the priest, he gets saved from his despair and his torment. And because of Mercedes, he gets saved from his, you know, being a brutal brooding revenge filled monster and he can come back and restore you know the most important uh, critical relationships of his life he he has the woman of his dreams he has the son he never knew he had and he has this life that he was striving for when he was younger when he was naive that he thought he had lost because of cruelty and of of uh selfishness and anger and so he he finds himself being able to be he finds himself being able to be a child again almost because now he can see everything and he knows the proper way to act he can have the things that he greatly wanted when he was younger but he can but he knows he has them and, in a and, sense because he can watch out for the danger that is coming to them and not necessarily you don't do good because of those things doing good will not bring you it will not bring you happiness it will not bring you good things necessarily but it will bring you something better. It won't leave you empty is the right way to think yeah, it. About won't it. Leave you empty. Yeah, it, it won't leave you empty. Yeah, it won't leave you empty. It might not be the girl. It might not be the goods. It right. might not be the success. But it will not leave you unfulfilled. Right. And then the last lesson is if, you, if your aim is straight and you can, you can have the ideal relationship between two people. You know, the, the chess piece existed in the first part of the movie in a metaphysical, mystical realm, in a mystical space somewhere between Edmund and Mondego. You know, it existed between them because it was something that was to be passed back and forth. But when it, when Mondego sent Edmund to the Chateau d'If, it was cut off. Now it rested in, with only one person. It was, it was the king of the moment was something, something mystic that, that stayed between them and represented their friendship. But now it belonged to one person. You're the king of the moment. Right. And it, it was, it was driven there because of self-seeking, right? Mm. It was driven to one polarity because of self-seeking. And so what you can learn is that if you have the right aim and you, you, have the right relationships and engage in them in a in a divine and orderly manner then you can have this wonderful wonderful connection where you can create a a series of triumphs for each other where you can make each other better but if you attempt to be the king of the moment you will be the king for just a moment mm -hmm. and it can all come crashing down yeah so that's doing kind the of good has though. the doing good has more consequences than you can possibly know in your own lifetime right that's pretty cool so yeah way so, to go so you do the ultimate good and subscribe to Carl Pulling. <laughs> to Carl Pulling. <laughs> all right uh, we got one email real fast oh okay this is from one of our listeners uh, and I'll read it I'm gonna edit it slightly um, because we don't have the explicit rating on iTunes hey guys long time first time I heard you fumbling for the name of the director of The Last Jedi and I wanted to let you know it was that excrement bag Ryan Johnson big fan of you two keep it up from the lovely Buckminster Fuller so Buckminster oh thank you Ryan Johnson, we appreciate that. We appreciate the and, correction. Uh, and we appreciate also that you called him a bag of human 
refuse. Ew. Uh, as he as he truly proved himself to be in that film. Definitely could be. All right. Well, that's it for carpooling this Isn't week. Isn't every human being a bag of refuse? Uh, let's. You know what? That's it for carpooling. That, that's it for carpooling. This week. <laughs> that's Follow enough critical show. thinking for today. Follow the show <laughs> at carpooling. We're on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Follow Hunter at emotional Carl on Instagram and Twitter. I am. I don't do anything on Instagram. No one and cares I about on your Twitter. social media preaching. Nah. Uh, I'm the machine is controlling you. At, I'm at Chris X Carl, so follow me as well. Email the show, carlpooling.com. Gov. Short. <laughs> uh, you can find all of our links there. I wish we were .gov. Yeah, that would be uh, a good idea. It's an inside job. And then uh, also email us, carpooling at gmail.com. Yeah. So anyhow, guys, again, 200, huge Way milestone. To go. So appreciative. Um, if you haven't yet, take a minute, so rate us on iTunes, tell a friend, subscribe. Anything you can do, we really appreciate it. We're going to grow this as as, as big we can. and as responsibly as we can. Yeah. And uh, we want you to be a part of it. So thanks a lot. Thanks so much, guys. Get out of back seat. We're home. We're home.